Good morning. Welcome again to Hope Community Church. It's good to see a lot of you here. It's good to see some new faces here. Before we go to God's Word together, let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we come to your word asking that you would give us the ability to not only be hearers of the word, but that you would enable us to be doers of it as well. God, we seek you. We seek your kingdom and your righteousness first above all else, trusting that you will give us what we need. So, Father, we know that our hearts can only truly be changed if you change them. So, Father, we ask that you would incline our hearts towards the words of Jesus, your Son, this morning. And, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the grace to obey whatever you command. We pray this knowing that you are a good Father who gives good gifts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, often called the first Gospel. Matthew's Gospel particularly is popular, maybe because it's the first Gospel, but also because it has one of the most famous sections, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount in church history and history of Christianity is probably the most famous three chapters. I know we think John 3.16 is super famous in other verses, but throughout all places and all kinds of people that have been Christians, the Sermon on the Mount really has been written on more than any other piece of Scripture. So, no pressure on me, right, to say something significant about it but and today we're going to be talking about maybe the most famous verse in the bible in 21st century america don't judge oftentimes people say don't judge and we hear that all over the place or we even hear take the beam out of your eye before you take the splinter out of someone else's eye Or we hear a ton about another thing that comes up in this passage we'll be in. The golden rule. Love others as you want to be loved. This is the passage we're in today. So it's kind of funny that there's many things are here in culture that are the words of Jesus. But oftentimes they're taken out of context. Maybe they are said with the right intent or a good heart. But sometimes it's helpful to know that they have a broader context, and that context is the Sermon on the Mount. And then even bigger than that, the Gospel of Matthew. So in order to learn what it means not to judge, or to take the beam out of our own eye, or even what the golden rule is, we should go to see what Jesus says about them. So if you have your Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 12, chapter 7 verses 1 through 12. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. 
give you some time to turn there. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. I will read it, and then we will unpack and see what Jesus means and how we can live lives to glorify God better. Hear the word of the Lord. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if, he, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good gifts to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The main idea in this passage, to sum up this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is treat others how God treats you. Treat others how God treats you. Again, as I mentioned, this section comes in a broader section on the Sermon on the Mount. And that's inside of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel is really the Gospel of the Kingdom. The Kingdom of Heaven has come because the King from Heaven has come. And Jesus is fulfilling everything that God promised, every promise of salvation and love and being with His people. This is what Jesus has done. He called Him Emmanuel at the beginning of Matthew. Emmanuel, because Jesus has come to be with his people to die for their sins. And at the end of Matthew, even, the very last chapter, he says, I am with you to the end of the age. So we see that God is with his people, teaching them, showing them how to live in the kingdom. Because the king from heaven has come, this good news is here. And then the Sermon on the Mount. It's super famous, and it just sometimes seems like a bunch of random sayings that Jesus threw together, and then Matthew's kind of just writing down. But what is the Sermon on the Mount about? Matthew 5 through 7. I think it has one cohesive theme. And I think Jesus essentially says the thesis in 5, 17 through 20. He pretty much says that I've come not to abolish or do away with the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. And he comes to fulfill them by teaching what they really mean and bringing them, in one sense, to their end. Because everything they pointed towards, the Law, 
Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, what we read from this morning, and even the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of those, everything in them points to Jesus. So in one sense, they are fulfilled, and not that they're abolished or done away with, but the thing they pointed towards, the shadow that image what the, the the thing of the shadow is really here we no longer have the shadows we have jesus himself so the sermon on the mount is jesus teaching what the old testament really was trying to get at and if you had to sum it up he says you must have a greater righteousness than the pharisees and the scribes those teachers of the law they have a superficial righteousness they have a superficial holiness about them So he says you must have a greater righteousness. I think this means being holy, holy. Being completely holy, consistent, inner and outer. Your heart is in the right place and your actions. You've been changed by the gospel and the Holy Spirit to live a life that is consistent with who Jesus is. It's the overflow of what Jesus has done. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. He's just teaching how to be this holy, holy kind of person, consistent. And we learned a few months ago whenever I preached last on this that he's, this regards money, this regards what you seek and what you think about what values in life and now he gets to kind of to really treating others. So again, this passage 7, 1 through 12 is treat others how God treats you. So he opens up and he says, judge not. That's kind of an antiquated way to say, don't judge. I think some of the translations sometimes we, we have might get at um, the original language, but sometimes it's like, we don't talk like that. Judge not, that you be not judged. It's basically, hey, don't judge so that you will not be judged. We hear this a lot again, don't judge me or only God can judge me, or even some gyms have their slogan, judgment-free zone. What what does Jesus mean, don't judge? Well, I think here, as we'll see, he says, do not condemn or do not judge in an unfair way. Do not judge unfairly. Do not condemn wrongly. And the reason, the, the, the purpose is so that you will not be judged. And then the reason, verse 2, says for, and he kind of does a play on words. I don't think the ESV really gets at it. It says the judgment you pronounce, but he really says the judgment with which you judge, you will be judged. And the measure with which you measure, you will be measured. That's the reason we're not supposed to judge. Don't judge unfairly others because the reason is you wouldn't pass this kind of judgment. If we applied the judgment we, to ourselves, the judgment we give to others, we wouldn't pass with flying colors, but we would fail miserably. Those who judge without mercy will be judged without mercy. And why is that? kind of taking a step back even. It's like, okay, does God treat us how we treat others? Well, not exactly. There is a close relationship, and I think Jesus has been trying to make this the whole sermon on that. There's a relationship between how you treat others and how you love God. 
There's a relationship between, there are horizontal relationships with others and our vertical relationship with God. But the real reason is because those who have experienced God's mercy, those who have seen God be gracious to them in Jesus Christ, go and show mercy to others. Those who have been forgiven, go and forgive others. Those who have been reconciled by the Son to God the Father through the Holy Spirit, go and reconcile with others. Those who have been loved, go and love others. So the reason is, if you don't show mercy and you don't love others, you judge others with an unfairness, you just show you probably haven't received this kind of mercy. God's grace and his mercy flows out of us into how we treat others. And he gives a little story in verse 3, somewhat famous. He says, it's like this. If you see the little speck, the little splinter in someone else's eye, but you don't even see the plank, the beam, the two by four in your own eye, um, that's, that's this kind of unfair judging. Or how are you going to say to someone else, hey, let me take that little speck out of your eye. How are you going to say that when you have a beam in your own eye? And then he says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. That's hypocrisy. And he says, Jesus' followers are not supposed to have this kind of hypocrisy. Friends, that's what we're saved from. We're all hypocrites. And Jesus comes for sinners, comes for hypocrites to save them. And once we've seen him and experienced him and loved him and been loved by him, we turn and show mercy to others and realize that we are hypocrites in need of grace and want to extend that mercy to others. So this hypocrisy, in the Sermon on the Mount, hypocrisy is essentially inconsistency. He mentioned it in chapter 6 is essentially, the first part is about hypocrisy. These people are doing the right thing. They're fasting, they're praying, and they're even giving to the poor. But they do it so that others will notice them and think they're holy. There's an inconsistency. They're doing the right thing, but not for the right reason. And here, the inconsistency is you don't apply the same test to yourself that you apply to others. It's inconsistent. You have a double standard. And he says, this, this, is, this is ridiculous. He's just showing this speck in the other's eye and then the beam in your own eye just to show the absurdity of how we judge others. It's an unfair judging that lacks self-examination. This kind of judging is dishonest. Friends, Jesus here is calling us, even here in this room now, to look at our own lives and look at our own hearts before we go correcting others. It is so easy to judge others, to think others' sins are worse than the sins we struggle with. Like, they're committing that sin, but I just, you know, struggle with this thing, you know? Struggle with sin. It's like we're the passive one. I'm, I'm being tempted by this sin. It's like, no, no, friends, we should own up to our own sins. And Jesus is here not saying don't correct others. He's not saying don't point out the speck in the other's eye. Actually, he says, take out the log of your own eye first 
and then you'll see clearly to go take the speck out. It kind of makes sense, you know. How are you going to see rightly if you have a beam in your own eye? You shouldn't even really be able to see anything. Because this beam is like immediately right in front of you. How do you see it, you know? If you have a beam in your eye, how are you going to see this little thing in another person's eye? You should be first seeing the beam. Seeing the plank of wood in your eye. It's, it's absurd. So he doesn't say don't correct others. The problem is correcting others without examining ourselves. Without correcting ourselves first. Jesus doesn't deny that other people have problems. Well, yeah, yeah like that other person, but they still have problems. I know I got my problems, but they got their problems. It's like, that shouldn't be, friends, the first thing we say. Like, I know I got my thing, but them. It's so easy to do that. This applies to ourselves and our relationships with spouses, children, parents. This applies to our work, our bosses, our employees, our co-workers. This applies to our denominations. A lot of times we can think other denominations are worse. They do or don't do this. Or maybe you're thinking, Morgan, my, my doctrine requires me to divide. Or my theology requires me to think that others are sinners. I, I mean, I know, I know the doctrine of total depravity. Everybody's sinful, and I, I got to let them know that. Friends, if we use doctrines like the sinfulness of humanity just to condemn others, just to judge fairly, unfairly others, then we have not fully understood that doctrine. And we have not fully understood God's redemptive solution to sin. Sin is the bad news, and the good news, the gospel, is only good news because of Jesus and he redeems us from our sin a good quote dealing with this is the quote the only thing doctrine should divide is truth away from falsehood the way of wisdom that leads to Jesus Christ away from the way of foolishness that leads elsewhere Doctrine divides. And it divides you as well if you're judging unfairly. At the end of the day, we point all these fingers at someone else, but eventually we point in the fingers and we're not going to pass one of those tests. So friends, we should judge fairly. We should see our sin first. The sinfulness of humanity should first bring us to tears because of our own sin. And bring us to joy because God's redemption in Jesus Christ. So friends, because we've been redeemed, let us be humble. An immature believer has a doctorate degree in other people's sins, but a first grade education in our own sin. We know everything about why they do what they do and why it's wrong and when they do it. And we will talk about them behind their back and know the solution for how they should take the sin out of their life. But we, we, we are learning the ABCs in our own sin. We have no idea why we commit the sins we do. We're blind to even half the sins we do. Friends, let's not be like that. Let's study hard and examine our own sin first. We should have a doctorate in our own sin in our own wicked ways before 
we go and study and examine the sins of others. This is, this is a community-building command. Jesus has called his people graciously. The kingdom of heaven is here. That's good news. And he's called his disciples into this kingdom, and he's saying, hey, now that you've been graciously called into this kingdom out of love, here's how to live in the kingdom. The way into the kingdom is being loved by Jesus. And the way in the kingdom is loving others because of Jesus. The gospel is not just the way into Christianity. The gospel is the way to the end of our lives. Friends, our community here, Hope Community Church even, in order to continue this Christ-like community, we must judge fairly. As Leviticus says, judge in righteousness, not unfairly. We will destroy this community if we see other sins first or more important or worse than our own. Friends, we all have beams in our eyes. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus has not condemned us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He has shown mercy and sin to you, even with a beam in your eye. This is good news. So go and extend that grace and mercy to others. And then he goes on to verse 6. It's been said that verse 6 is one of the most confusing verses in Matthew and the whole Gospels. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. It's confusing because it somewhat doesn't make sense in this passage. And it's, what, or who are the dogs? Who are the pigs? What, what are the pearls and the holy things? But I would suggest to you that Jesus is nuancing how we ought to judge others. He's saying, don't judge unfairly. Be merciful and gracious and don't be hypocritical. But on the other hand, don't be naive. Be full of mercy and kindness and gentleness and love. But don't be unwise. Probably the holy things and the pearls that are being thrown refer to the, the value of the gospel of the kingdom. And I think dogs and pigs in Old Testament language were unclean animals. So he probably means outsiders who reject the gospel. And I think he's saying, don't throw the gospel before people who are not ready for it, who will reject it, and that will turn on you and hurt you. We have to be wise as we live our lives. So don't judge unfairly. Say they won't accept the gospel. They got a, they got a speck in their eye. But on the other end, don't, don't be dumb. Don't be done with the gospel. I think is kind of bluntly what he's saying to his disciples. You must be the kindest people, but also wise. You must be as innocent as doves and as wise as serpents in one way. Clearly, Jesus is not saying don't spread the good news. In Matthew chapter 10, and then in Matthew chapter 8, the Great Commission, he sends his disciples out to say the same message that he has. And friends, we've been commissioned to do that. We've been told by the Jesus we love to spread this awesome news to others. That's part of what it means to be a Christian is to share the gospel that has saved us with others so that they will be saved and brought into this kingdom and have a right relationship with God. That, that is an amazing gift that we have. And the Spirit leads us to do that. So he's not saying don't share the gospel at all. But he is saying 
Be wise in how you share that. Later, even in Matthew 10, it says, if someone rejects that, turn, turn away and don't go back to that house. I think he's saying, don't share the gospel in a forceful way. And don't share it in a forceful way for those who are just not ready for it. Maybe you share it and they reject it and you keep pounding it on and laying on it. You should, you should, you should do this. You should accept this. This means a thousand different things for the relationships we have and the ways we share the gospel. But I think the general principle is, is somewhat clear. Friends, we shouldn't judge others hypocritically. Like they, they, they won't accept it. I'm going to go ahead and say no for them because I know they won't accept the gospel, so I'm not going to share it with them. That's, that's not the response. But it's also not, I'm going to lay it down on you and you need to accept this news. It is a proclamation, but it's also an invitation. So we have to hold these intention. Don't judge unfairly. Don't, don't hypocritically have a double standard. But also be wise. Part of Christian wisdom involves being merciful and discerning at the same time. These seem in contradiction, but we have to hold them in tandem. And friends, we should not judge others harshly, because we were, some, we were once unbelievers. But we should also not force the gospel in, a, in an unloving way that is, that is foolish on others. And then he kind of changes gears and he says, ask, seek, and knock. He commands us to ask, because it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. And then he gives the reason. The reason we should ask, seek, and knock is everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds, and you should knock because everyone who knocks, it will be opened. I think he's talking about going to God in prayer, asking him for things. This doesn't mean God will give you anything you ask for. The last time he used the language of seeking, he used it in 6.33, which is right above this passage. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We should trust that God will give us what we need. Not everything we want, but he will give us what we need if we're seeking him first and his righteousness. So, but ask. Because God is a loving father who gives. Seek. And God well, we'll give it to you and knock because God opens doors to those he loves. And Jesus kind of to give a illustration of how this goes. He says, think about it. If you have a son and he asks for some bread, you don't switch it out and give him a stone instead. Or if he's like, hey, I want, I want, a, I want some fish. It's like, oh yeah, well, I know something that looks like a fish. Here's a snake. Or it's like, if your kid wants some whipped cream, you don't give him like mayonnaise or something. It, it, that's deceitful and, and crazy. And really, no one, no one does that. And then Jesus says, he's making the point that, no, this is ridiculous. The point is, hey, even you earthly parents, give good gifts to your kids. And he says, even you who are evil, know how to give gifts to your children when they ask. And then he kind of does a lesser to greater. Like, that's a good thing. How much more will your Father in heaven give to you? Give to those who ask him.
You know those t-shirts? World's greatest dad? Like, who ever thought of that? I don't know. How did that happen? Some kid was like, dad, you're the best. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know what? I am the best. <laughs> like, the best. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, world's greatest dad. <laughs> okay, so, one... I don't know how anybody can know such a thing. But even if you are the world's greatest dad, think how much better God the Father is. Perhaps you had a horrible earthly father or still have one. You can be assured that God the Father is not like him. Sometimes we have trouble God being a father and we have baggage that we bring to this. But God the Father, I think, is even being contrasted here with earthly parents. And he says, Heavenly Father. Just like the kingdom of heaven is so much better and greater than the kingdoms of this world. So also, the Father in heaven is so much better than even the good fathers of this world, and definitely the bad ones. So if you had a good father... You can take that and multiply it by infinity and and be sure that God the Father loves you even more than that. And he says, God your Father in heaven gives good gifts to those who ask him. We can trust that God hears us when we pray, that he is for our good, that we don't have to go at our own seeking to do our own way in the world. I know God commands this. I know this is going to happen, but I have to do this my own way. Friends, we should trust that God is for our good and that his commands lead to goodness and life and they glorify him. God's commands are one, for his glory, but also for our good. That's the way he has just made the world and patterned it to be. And I think then Jesus goes on to kind of conclude this section in verse 12. He says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. I think he connects this to this passage even. Saying in in light of how God is, he gives generously. He's merciful to you, even though you don't deserve it. He gives you good things when you ask. And then he says, whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them. We ought to exhibit this kind of love that God has for us to others. How God has treated you, go and treat others likewise. And if we say, well, they haven't done anything to me. They haven't loved me. It's like God loved us when we didn't love him. They haven't been nice to me. It's like, were we nice to God? before we were Christians, and are we even all the time nice to him now? No. Even, even our best days are, are muddied up with our imperfections. But God gives generously to those who seek him. And friends, we ought to do likewise. This is the golden rule. It's somewhat funny how it got its name. It's not because it's just this Perfect. It is a perfect rule, but it didn't get its name because it's just golden. It actually got its name because there was this Roman emperor who thought who liked the rule. He wasn't a Christian. He just liked the rule. 
and he had it printed in gold in his throne room. The golden rule. You learn things. So, but I think what he's saying at the, at the Sermon on the Mount, so this is kind of the conclusion of, the, of not only this passage, but also the entire Sermon on the Mount. And after this, he kind of gives three warnings and invitations. So he's bringing this back from Leviticus 19, what we read this morning. You should love others. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I was in a class one time when we were talking about a, a de- hot debated issue. And someone said, you know what? Jesus didn't quote Leviticus. He just said, love your neighbor. Besides the 20 other thousand things wrong with that statement, that statement is from Leviticus. It's like, it is so funny. Sometimes we think Leviticus, that's, that's one of those books in the Bible plan. You just skip right over it. Maybe, yeah, numbers too. That, you know. It's like Leviticus has some good stuff in it. And Jesus obviously thought so. Friends, the law, even though it seems harsh, is good. God gave it to his people for their good. If you have any doubts about that, go read the longest psalm in all the psalms. Psalm 119, from front to end. It's all about the goodness of God's law. And Jesus says, no, I'm not coming to abolish the law. I'm just coming to fulfill them. And here's the fulfillment of them. This is the law and the prophets. Everything they try to get you to do is is summed up in this statement. Treat others in the way you want to be treated. So treat others the way you want to be treated. Does this mean we love others just so they'll love us back? No. He doesn't say that. He says treat others the way you would like to be treated, despite if they ever return that love or not. And this does not mean loving others in the exact way that you receive love. For instance, if you love dogs, but your friend hates dogs, it would not be loving. Well, I I wish someone would give me a dog, so treat others how you want to be treated. I'm going to give them a dog. It's like, no, they hate dogs. That's not loving. But we all want to be loved. We, We should figure out how others receive love. And we should, we should treat them that way. Love is a general principle. It doesn't mean exactly the, the nitpicky things we like to do. This would be to receive this, this command from Jesus kind of wrongly. That's exactly what he's going against, this kind of literalistic application. But we should love others as, as we want to be loved. And friends, if we remember that in arguments, if we remember that in how we deal with money, if we remember that principle in how we deal with giving others gifts and service we would glorify God a lot more we would judge fairly a lot more well put your shoes put yourself in their shoes well okay how would I want to be treated in this situation even when the other has done us wrong it's like what they it's justice they deserve to be punished it's like yeah maybe that's true but we should still forgive them because we would like to be forgiven And we all want to be forgiven by God, so we should treat others the way God has treated us. It's helpful to ask ourselves, how has God and Jesus Christ treated me? We should go and do likewise. So this is not exactly the golden rule, but more of a golden vision. A golden vision for how to go and be in the world. Be a loving 
person because this is how God in Jesus Christ has treated you. And friends, that, that's good news. And it's freeing to know that God has loved us in this way and to embody this towards others. So following Jesus is less about checking off all the boxes, doing all the little nitpicky right things, but more about being the kind of person that does those things. Why? Because Jesus, the good and perfect king, has come to you and loved you. Jesus, the wise and perfect son of God, has come to you and transformed you to be that kind of person. He loved us so much that he came to save us. He suffered that we might be comforted. He died so that we might live. And he was hated so that we might be loved. And having now experienced this, we go and love others, even giving ourselves up for others, giving our lives up for others. This is what Jesus did as the highest example of love. If you want to see the love of Jesus, look at the cross and the empty tomb. This is, this is the gospel that saves our souls. Now believe it and live. God does not love you because you love others. But if we, if friends, if we don't love others, we, we show, we prove that we probably don't know the love of God. So it's like this. Not God loving you because you love others, but because God is a generous and loving father who gives good things to those who ask him. We should be the kind of people that God is the way he has treated us, though our love can't save and redeem others like Christ does to us, we're still told to do that. Because God loves you in Jesus Christ, go and love others. So to conclude, the Sermon on the Mount is the message to people see the good king. Maybe you're an unbeliever here and maybe you've heard about Jesus you know, maybe the golden rule. But friends, these commands don't make any sense apart from what Jesus really came to do. In Matthew 1, even, it says Jesus came to die, to suffer for the sins of his people, to reconcile the ones God loves. So before turning to the golden rule to try to exemplify that, you need to turn to Jesus. Because nothing will be right with you and God if you don't first have Christ. And believers on the other side of that, having been saved, we need to continue that. It's not you look to Jesus and get saved and then you just live this moralistic kind of life. We always are looking back to the cross and resurrection and looking forward to the day that God will finally save us from this sinful lives that we live, finally. He has saved us and he will save us. So friends, we look to the gospel and we live in the middle time. And what we are supposed to do, we have faith in the historic gospel, what happened. We have hope that he will keep his promises, faith, hope, and then what we do now is we have love. So remember the gospel and live in light of it. Let's pray.
Father, forgive us for judging others hypocritically. Bring us to mourning sadness because we have applied a double standard on others. We have thought lightly of our own disobedience. God, we love to study other sins and focus on them first. God, for, forgive us of this. We, we, we have nothing to offer but to ask and seek that you would forgive us. Help us to see our own faults first. Help us to lovingly correct others after we have examined ourselves. And Father, you tell us to ask, seek, and knock. And sometimes these commands seem so impossible. But we pray, we ask you, we seek and we're knocking that you would enable us to live these kind of lives. That you would command whatever you will. And that you would enable us to do what you command. God, we ask for true belief that leads to true repentance. We ask that you would make us more loving people because you are loving. We pray this looking to the perfect one who takes away our sin. And we rest in this. We believe this. And we are at peace. Amen.